Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Have you ever looked at the world around you and just felt it's not supposed to be this way? That's what we're going to dive into today. As we're filming this, it has been another kind of heart-wrenching week. The needless deaths, not just in the States, but here in Canada as we've lost service, men and women, on top of the continued devastation of natural disasters and war worldwide. Do you ever catch yourself just looking at the world around you thinking, it is not supposed to be this way? And if we're really honest, we don't have to look very far. We don't have to look at newspapers or news outlets at all. We can find devastation and loss and hurt and pain just around us, arm's length in our homes and families, in our own lives. I bet we can each pinpoint a time where we felt the pain of a relationship that has failed None of us are immune to the pain of grief and loss or the anguish of a diagnosis, whether it's you or someone that you've loved. We face devastation in our lives. Those moments that stop us dead in our tracks when we look up to the heavens and think, God, it is just not supposed to be this way. So what do we do when we're face to face with everything that is opposed to the joy and the peace and the hope and the life that our souls actually crave? What do we do when we come face to face with devastation? How are we supposed to respond when life takes a turn that it just wasn't supposed to take? How do we stay standing? How do we hold on to hope? How do we keep ourselves from drowning in the despair of the hurt and the pain because of the evil and the brokenness that surrounds us? We're going to pray and then we're going to jump into the word of God because we believe that the word of God is true and good. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Bible is inspired for, by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word helps us navigate these moments that are so senseless, so devastating. These moments when we're at a loss of what to do. So God, we thank you that you are our comforter. It's one of the names you've given to yourself. You are the Prince of Peace. As one of the names you gave to yourself, you are the man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering. It's one of the names you gave yourself because you understand, you relate to us when we are trapped in these moments that feel so senseless. These moments that we grapple with and, and can never make sense of because they don't have a meaning. They're just a result of the brokenness surrounding us. But we do believe that you're good. We believe that you can bring good out of all. We believe that because you are our comfort and our peace, because you are wisdom, that you will help us to navigate our way through those moments when all we can say is it's not supposed to be 
like this. So Holy Spirit, would you speak your comfort? Would you allow those words, which are just of my own ideas, would they just die before they're even spoken? But Spirit of truth, would you lead and guide us into all truth? In your precious name, amen. Well, there are two extremes that we can be tempted to go to amid devastation, where we feel too much or we choose not to feel at all. And either option, if we lean towards one or the other, will have us stuck and living in a place of deep unhealth. So let me elaborate on what I mean. The first temptation is that in the midst of devastation, we feel too much. We can get stuck in the despair, unable to move on because everything in our life is now wrapped around this one moment of trauma. This moment of pain or loss or fear now dictates every decision we make in our present and our future. We feel too much. When we feel too much, the natural inclination of protection that we do to surround our heart is to operate out of fear, to hide away lest we face pain again. But on the other pendulum swing extreme, we can choose not to feel. Instead, we can decide that what we really need to do is to clam up, to harden our hearts so that they don't feel. And we become cynical and jaded and angry or just numb. So we don't have to feel the pain of the situation. The problem is that if we don't address pain, it doesn't actually go away. If we bury it, it comes out somewhere else. But we won't be able to choose where the pain escapes. We were chatting this week with someone in the office just with what's happening in our world and the heaviness of it and the effects of global media, global news coverage and how really as humans, our brains and our hearts were not created to be able to carry the weight of the devastation from every part of the world simultaneously on top of the pain that most of us carry in our own lives and families. And yet, this is the world we live in. We can't hide ourselves away. We have the internet. We have social media. And so how do we walk through it? How do we feel and continue to live and love? How do we avoid the traps on both ends of the pendulum? And what do we do with our pain and our sorrow? Well, you've heard me say it before. I love David. And if I'm not really sure where to go when I'm reading my Bible, I often will find myself gravitating towards the Psalms. I love the honesty that's present there. I love the invitation to bring my very real pain and anger and doubt to God. There's this myth surrounding God that has roots that come from a good place, but the result is a barrier in our relationship between us and God. So let me start with the roots so you understand what I mean. The root is that we are to fear, revere, and honor God. This is true, and it's good. We should fear, revere, and honor God. 
And if that's true, then therefore, when we pray or talk to God, we should do so in a respectful and honoring way. And this also is true and good. We should have some humility when we're coming before the God of the universe. But the twist or the myth is that if I voice my anger, my frustration, my disappointment, my discontent, my doubts to God, that that is not respectful or honoring. And that is not true. In fact, this twisting of truth puts up these massive barriers in our relationship with God. See, if I can't bring all of me, I can't be known. And in turn, I can't know someone else. If all you see are the parts of me that I want you to see, the positive things, you'll know a part of me, but you will never know me. And likewise, in our relationship with God, if we are constantly um, trying to filter our emotions and our words when we come before God, if we are tailoring the parts of us that God gets access to, we will never allow ourselves to be known or to fully know him. And the irony of all of that twisted belief is that God actually already knows. He sees our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He already knows all of my anger and frustration and discouragement and disappointment and doubt. He already knows it. And in trying to hide it from him, I haven't really hidden it at all. All I've done is surrounded it and made it inaccessible to the healing of God. We aren't getting away with hiding anything. We're only keeping that part of ourselves in darkness. This is the beauty and the wisdom of God is he dictated what parts of the Bible were supposed to be there. This invitation from the Psalms to feel, to lament, to cry out to him with exactly what we're feeling to lay it all out before him, this invitation from God through the wisdom of the Psalms that says, I can bring the real me, the broken me, the messy me before God because I saw that he allowed others to. There's this invitation to look around at the mess that we live in and be fully transparent with God. It's the beauty and wisdom of the Psalms. It's a call beckoning from the heart of God to uncover myself before him. God, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you didn't intervene. I don't understand why you didn't change the story. I don't understand where you were in the terror of that elementary school. I don't understand why you didn't heal. I don't understand. Not only don't I understand, I'm hurt and I'm angry and I'm disappointed. And sometimes I just feel like you failed. And when we uncover what we're holding, 
when we uncover the real and raw that we're carrying, when we name it and we feel it and we speak it to the Prince of Peace, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, what we do is we uncover it. We bring it to the light and we allow God to have access to our hurt and to our anger, to those moments we don't understand why. We uncover it and we give him access. As I read the Psalms, not only is it this beautiful invitation to bring what I'm really feeling before God, as I watch it modeled before us, it's also really truly mesmerizing to watch these 180 degree turns that the Psalms often take. Like there's this anguish and this pouring out of all of this anguish and then all of a sudden it turns to praise or this anger, like God, kill them all. Just this like outpouring of anger and then all of a sudden there's this turn to this Declaration of truth. That's the strength of bringing what's hidden before God. Sharon Hody Miller wrote, we have to create the space to do this internal work so that we can direct our wounds rather than our wounds directing us. If we hide what we're feeling if we surround it and don't allow God to have access, it will direct us. Our pain will make us go to one of those pendulums where we either feel too much and live in this perpetual state of fear to keep from feeling any more or we'll harden our hearts to the point where we can't feel at all. But that's not the fullness of life that God offers us. Instead, he invites us to bring what we're feeling to the light, to uncover it, to expose it to the spirit of God where he can work, where he can heal, where he can reveal truth. Our wounds can direct us to the foot of the cross when we stop hiding from him, when we uncover ourselves before him, God can do what only he can do. So we uncover what we're feeling. We stop hiding it. Even though God already sees it, we're not hiding. We're just fooling ourselves that we are. And so we lay it bare. And then we also have to give it to him. It's one thing to allow God to see our pain. And it's another thing to allow him to touch it. Allow him to heal it. Allow him to meet us in those places where we just don't understand. In Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here's the amazing thing about God. He meets us just where we are. And I love this passage because when we are devastated to the point where we don't have words anymore, God's there. When we're devastated to the point that all we have are groans and sobs, God translates those cries into prayer. When we take the step of faith to uncover ourselves, bringing our very real before God, and stretching out those hurts before him, God meets us right there. He meets us right there in the pain. He meets us right there in the doubt. He meets us right there in the anger. He meets us right there in the devastation. Over and over and over in the Bible, do you know what God promises to do in our moments of weakness? In our times of devastation? In those points of despair? He promises to carry our burden. He promises to strengthen our weakness. He promises to give us joy in our mourning. He promises to be near when our heart is broken. In the act of surrender, we find life. And it's here in this place, this place of surrender, this place not just showing our pain to God, but allowing him to have access to do something that the miracle happens, something amazing happens. When our lives were so full of the hurt and the pain and the questions, somehow God creates space where we're able to hold both sorrow and joy at the same time. He creates space where somehow we're able to hold on to both doubt and faith at the same time where we're able to hold both grief and joy at the same time because God doesn't shame us in our surrender. He meets us there and then he begins to do what only he can do. He begins to heal and enlarge our hearts. In the surrender, we see God. We see who he really is. We see what he is capable of when we uncover our hearts and then bring them to God in surrender. He can speak truth and life over everything we're facing. He can remind us that he's the one who mourns with us. He's the one who gathers us close in our heartache. He meets us in our pain. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10, Paul, again through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, But he said to me, God speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In surrender, we're reminded where our strength truly is, where our peace truly is, where our joy truly is, where our hope truly is. Because in surrender, 
God is able to speak truth over the perspectives we hold. It's not supposed to be this way. Challenges a belief about the world that we live in. It's this echo of a longing for Eden and a hope for heaven where sorrow and pain and death have no place. But we don't live there yet. We live here. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where sin has destroyed perfection. Pain and evil and devastation are a part of this life, even if I wish that they weren't. But in surrendering and meeting Jesus in the very midst of my pain, he gives us the strength to take heart. He reminds us that he has overcome the very things that cause our heartache in the first place. In meeting Jesus in the very midst of our pain, we find the peace that can only be found where the Prince of Peace is. In surrender, we find healing and strength to keep living, to breathe again, to take one step and then another. In surrender, we find the healing and the strength to live not with a heart that's been hardened by pain, but a heart of flesh, to keep hoping, to keep loving, to risk again, to take one step and then another. In the surrender, we position ourselves right next to the Spirit of God because we know that He will put words to our groans and that He will work all things for good. He will help us to hold both good and bad simultaneously as He does what only He can do and that He will give us what we need to navigate life in this broken world. The surrender reminds us that we are not alone. We are surrounded by the Spirit of God. We are not alone and we were never alone. We may never understand. We may never understand the why, but we were never abandoned. The surrender also reminds us that we are not helpless. Just as we are surrounded, we can partner with God to surround one another in the circumstances that break our heart. When we feel helpless, we're reminded in surrender that Jesus is battling for us and that through prayer, we can join him. In Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 19, again, Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I don't know about you, but when I come face to face with devastation, I want to do something. 
When I'm face to face with pain, I want to find a solution. My natural inclination is to find the answers, to cling to the prescriptive. Yet so much of the sorrow we walk through in this world and so much of what's so heavy on my spirit right now, it just can't be solved. I can't leave everything right now and go to a disaster site. I can't do anything to give a grieving parent back their child. I can't find a cure for cancer. And what I can do is surround those who are walking through brokenness and prayer. What I can do is to cling so strongly to the incomparably great power of God. What I can do is petition with my cries and my groans and my questions and my words, a God who meets people in their pain. I can surround everything that's breaking my heart in prayer and ask a God who cares, who understands betrayal, who understands death, who understands pain, who understands grief to be present in it. And as he heals us, when we lay everything uncovered and surrendered before him, like Paul, he'll give us the strength to cling and ask for hope. For eyes that are open to see him, for the assurance that even in devastation, we can find his peace. We can petition a God who cares to intervene, to change circumstances. But like Paul wrote, even more so that our eyes would be open to know him better. I mentioned earlier that our it's not supposed to be this way cries were echoes and reminders that we weren't made for here. They're echoes of our desire for what we were created for Eden and the hope that we now have of heaven, of eternity with Jesus where there is no pain or sorrow or suffering. We look around and say, it's just not supposed to be this way. It's because it wasn't. It wasn't supposed to be this way. But sin entered the picture. And now we have to live our lives in a broken world, enduring the brokenness that we each bring to the table and so we long for heaven. We long for all to be made right. We long for the place for, what we, for which we were created, one without suffering or sorrow or death. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18, 22, and 27, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves 
who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is not our home. And while we wait longingly, while we endure the momentary sufferings that this life brings, as we look around at the devastation and think it is just not supposed to be this way. We do have the Prince of Peace who steps into our brokenness and brings strength and healing so that we can walk through our life with hope, with life, and with joy. And we can allow the Holy Spirit to make a way for us to intercede for us when we don't know what to say or do, to give us the strength to hold the good and the bad simultaneously. We can uncover our hearts and surrender them before God so that he can heal those places within us so that we don't bury our heads in the sand, but with compassion, with love, clinging to peace and hope, we begin to surround the circumstances of this world with prayer. And we don't do any of it alone. Not only is God with us, but he has gifted us one another to rejoice and to mourn with, to shoulder burdens with, to pray with, and it's not supposed to be this way. It's not. But let's let those cries of our heart lead us to Jesus. Let's allow those cries of our heart to keep us soft before him, uncovering our pain and surrendering it to him so that he can heal is that he can lead us to places where we can surround in prayer and practically help those that he loves so dearly. As we close, I don't know what your story is this morning. I don't know if you've been walking and holding pain and sorrow, or if like me, you just are overwhelmed by the amount of devastation that we've been watching worldwide for a few weeks now. But would you join me in praying? And if you're on the other end of this screen and you would like somebody to pray with you, more than just the generic prayer I'm going to pray in just a moment, our team would love to pray for you. You do not need to walk through life alone. We have a prayer 
um, hub on our website and we're gonna put a link right here in the video description there. And you can always contact us at our office or through our text line. You don't have to do any of this alone. Not only is God with you always, but he has gifted the family of Christ to one another to walk through this world together. And so we would love to pray with you. We're gonna pray and, and we're gonna do communion. So please don't log off just as soon as we say amen. Well, Father God, we know that you are no stranger to sorrow. We know that through Jesus, we have a high priest who understands our weakness. At Jesus, you grieved along with Mary and Martha as Lazarus died, even though you knew that you were about to do a miracle, you met them in their pain and you meet us in ours. And so as we bring our very real feelings before you right now, as we bring our pain and our hurt and our anger and our questions and our devastation before you, would you meet us there? Would you meet us in the surrender? Would you wrap your arms of comfort around each person who's on this video? Would you meet us there? Would you begin to remind us that you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned us, and you have not failed? Would you meet us there? Would you remind us of hope? And for those who can't even get words out, would you translate their cries to prayers? I thank you that you are our comforter. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the one who can heal all things. You are the one who gives us the ability to cling to hope and joy, even in the middle of suffering and pain and loss. It's just who you are. We don't understand, but it's who you are. And so would you meet us here as only you can. We surrender. Would you do your work in your precious name? Amen. Hey guys, thanks for staying with us. And thank you, Lisa, for that word. Um, in fact, that word, that, that idea that we, this is not our home, that we are pursuing something more beyond this, that, that things are not right. Um, that really, that realization becomes like the key component to this moment that we say yes to Jesus. And today, as we kind of come to the Lord's table, let's just be reminded of that. In Matthew 28, uh, or sorry, Matthew 26, starting verse 26, says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And Jesus, of course, is referring to um, both his literal body, but he's also referring to the symbol uh, of his broken body because he knew that he was about to be broken for humanity broken because of our brokenness. 
and this kind of realization that the world is broken. And what a profound thought to know that Jesus, God, came to this world, to this broken world, to this world where things aren't what they should be. And he made a way to bring reparations. He made a way to bring repair to that relationship that we, we desperately need to have with our creator. And so today as we break the body together and uh, partake together, may we be reminded of the broken body of Jesus as he came and he identified with brokenness so that he could be our savior. So let's partake together. It goes on and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And here's where I really wanna like kind of take a look today. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. There is such a profound hope as we come to the table together today that though we see the brokenness of this world, though we live in the midst of it, we are not of this world. Coming to this table is a reminder that we have been made new in Christ Jesus, that we are alive in Christ. And that life that he has breathed into us takes us beyond this moment and beyond the brokenness of this world and into the next where we will sit down at the table with Jesus himself and we will drink of the vine and eat of the bread, not just in remembrance of what he's done, but in the completion of what he did for us. And what a profound hope we carry as we seek and we come to the table and remember the shed blood of Jesus for the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. So let's partake together. So Lord, we thank you so much for this table. We thank you for the opportunity to even in this limited way to gather around the table, to be reminded that it was your broken body that brought wholeness to our body, soul, and spirit. It was your shed blood that covered our sin and our shame. And so, Lord, we thank you that because of that, we have such hope for that kingdom to come, that kingdom that you are going to establish in fullness. Lord, what a, what a humbling thought that we can be a part of that kingdom because of the work of Jesus in our lives. So I pray for every person, those exploring faith, Lord, would you give each of them an encounter with Jesus? For those, Lord, of faith in this moment, as we gather around the table together in like-mindedness, Lord, we thank you for the reality that you have breathed into us by your spirit through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for gathering around the table with us, friends. God bless.